One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. As a first-time guest today, you've come on a great day because we just started last Sunday a brand new series, and uh, we are calling this series Thrive, as you can see, and uh, kind of the big idea, and in fact, let me just see who was here last Sunday, who was here, most of you were here last Sunday. Uh, If you weren't here last Sunday, I really want to encourage you to listen to our podcast from last Sunday, or you can watch online as well. Uh, But that was was kind of the introductory message to this series, And, and really the whole big idea behind this series that we're calling Thrive is that Jesus does not want you to just make it through life. He doesn't want you just to live, he wants you to thrive. Jesus said it this way, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. We could say it this way, a flourishing life, a thriving life. But I shared with you last week that, you know, in uh, for for children and sometimes in pediatrics, there's a, a condition that they call a failure to thrive. And that's when a baby is born and for some reason they're missing an essential uh, ingredient for life and health. And as a result, for whatever reason, whatever that essential is that is missing, it results in a failure to thrive. The baby doesn't grow. The baby doesn't mature. There's, there, there's life, but there's not thriving. And the same is true oftentimes when it comes to our spiritual life that sometimes Uh, We can be alive, but we're not thriving, and oftentimes it's because we're missing an essential. We're, We're missing an essential element of the faith that has been imparted to us. And I shared with you last week the story out of Acts chapter 19 of Paul going to Ephesus and preaching the gospel. Actually, when he shows up, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, we didn't even hear there was a Holy Spirit. He said, okay, uh, then what were you baptized into? In other words, uh, you've got the message, but you don't have the whole message. You've got some of the good news, but you don't have the full good news. And so we're looking at, over the next few weeks, the essentials of our faith, the essentials that are that, that are essential for every follower of Jesus to not just be alive, but to thrive in Jesus. And, and that's what God wants for every one of us, is to live that life to the full. A, a life of joy, a life of peace, a, a life of purpose. And so in order to do that, we have to recognize these essentials. And so last week I talked to you uh, a, a message that I called, Believe and Be Baptized. Believe and be baptized. And we talked about baptism is really a a, a step, uh, a sign, and a start. A step of obedience as a follower of Jesus. A sign of our commitment and our faith in Jesus. And then also a start that we are uh, identifying with the death and then also the resurrection of Jesus. And I shared that with you last week. Again, I want to encourage those of you who have not heard that message to go back and listen to it. But I really believe that God is wanting to emphasize these things in our church community. Uh, A couple of, actually about a month ago, as I was praying into, or back in January, as I was praying into this year, really praying for uh, just a breakthrough in 
your lives, in my life, in the life of our church, I felt like the Lord put this phrase on my heart that there's a failure to thrive. Now, that's not a diminishment of what God's doing. That's simply a recognition that there's more that God wants to do. And in order to experience the more, we have to recognize what are the missing essentials. And baptism in water is an essential step for every follower of Jesus. And I shared with you last week that, uh, to be honest, we've not emphasized that as, as much as we should in the life of one church park district. And to be honest with you, it's, it's simply been the practicalities of, around, like, we don't have a baptism pool here. Um, you know, there is a little fountain out there. Uh, in, I don't, I've not seen if we could get somebody in there all the way. Uh, a little rusty, so make sure you're up on your tetanus shots. But, um, but to be honest, just because of the practicalities, we've allowed that to slide into the background. And I believe God wants to bring it into the foreground. Not just for the sake of baptism, but for the sake of experiencing everything he has for us. And I really felt like God put it on my heart that we need to emphasize baptism and, and to call those uh, of us who have uh, perhaps never been baptized, or maybe you were baptized uh, as a child and it wasn't an expression of your own faith to be baptized. And uh, so th- at the end of this month, we're actually going to be having a special baptism celebration and uh, we're, we're not going to be here because there's not a lot of water here, but we're actually going to be doing something special. We're going to be uh, taking a little church road trip up the road to Bramble Tree Estate. Uh, I know some of you know Bramble Tree Estate because some of you got married at Bramble Tree Estate. If you're not familiar with it, Bramble Tree is a, a beautiful uh, wedding venue, which is kind of appropriate. Baptism, that demonstration of that commitment, uh, a, a wedding venue is pretty appropriate, right? to do baptisms there. And so we're doing it there because it's appropriate. We're also doing it because it happens to be my parents' property, okay? And so we're going to be doing that there. And also, just to be honest, this is one of the Sundays that we can't meet here at the museum. But I just felt like God lined it up. And uh, how many of you know sometimes God puts you in in a place to take the step that you wouldn't take if he didn't put you in that place? You know what I'm saying? And so I felt like God put it on my heart, and I was like, well, when are we going to do that? And then I realized, wait a minute, we can't meet at the museum on the 29th, so we're just going to move everybody up there, or actually, you're going to move yourself there. You're going to drive yourself up there, okay? But to Bramble Tree Estate for a baptism celebration. And I know some of you maybe hear that and you go, well, that's like out of Orange County. That's not in Winter Park or Baldwin Park, so I'm not going to go there. Uh, Well, it is on a Sunday, so the traffic won't be too bad, okay? But also, I really believe this is something that God wants for every one of us, first of all, to celebrate those that are making a decision to be baptized. And then also, what I really felt like God put on my heart is that perhaps there's some of us that were baptized in the past that, that maybe it, we weren't baptized into the fullness of the gospel. Maybe we didn't really understand what God had for us. And I know the reality is we never fully understand. But, but as we present the essentials of the gospel, uh, this is really what we are being baptized into, baptized into faith in these essentials, and we'll be laying out what those are. And so maybe you were baptized, but you, but now you have a fuller understanding of what God is uh, offering to you. And, and so I want to encourage you to, to consider getting rebaptized. 
Or, or maybe some of you, uh, maybe you were baptized, you meant it from your heart, but you just feel like you need to make a recommitment, a fresh commitment. Maybe it's a new season. Uh, maybe those of you who are, perhaps you're, you're married and you weren't married when you got baptized, but you just want to recommit together. Or maybe, yeah, you know, you got, you were baptized as a, as a, teenager, and now you just want to recommit. And I, I know some of you may say, well, uh, do we have to get rebaptized? And uh, do I need to be rebaptized? And here's what I would say is uh, it depends what you mean by need, okay? Uh, do, do you need to be rebaptized for salvation? Absolutely not. But maybe God's putting it on your heart. And to be honest, I felt like what the Lord put on my heart is for us as a church to kind of step in what I would call almost a communal baptism, that we are, uh, like Israel was going out to the Jordan uh, as, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and there was this communal baptism that God would have us as a community, uh, again, not out of force, we're not going to push anybody in and throw them under, but if you have it in your heart to say, I, I really feel that I need to take this step, I really feel like I want to recommit, just like perhaps a couple would renew their wedding vows. I want to encourage you to do that. And so that's happening on March 29th. It'll be at 10 a.m. in the morning. We'll have baptisms. We'll have a time of worship and a time of ministry. And then we're going to be hanging out under the pole barn. Uh, we'll have some food. We'll have some fun for the kids. And so I really want to encourage you to plan to be a part of that. All right. Everybody got those details? All right. So what's the date of that? March 29th, yes, last Sunday of the month, and we won't be here. We will be where? Bramble Tree, okay? Bramble Tree Estate. Google it. We'll send out the details. All right. Well, do you have Psalm 34? Good. Okay, so let's, let's read. I, I just want to read one verse. Psalm 34, verse 8, and this is going to kind of springboard us into where we're going in this message today. Psalm 34, this is a psalm of David. He says just a beautiful declaration of God's goodness. In fact, the, the whole psalm in my Bible is titled, The Happiness of Those Who Trust in God. And I love what he says in verse 8, as he's just declared, I will bless the Lord at all times, is how he begins. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And then he gets to verse 8, and he says this, and I love the way he says it. He says, oh, taste and see. That the Lord is, what does he say? Good. Blessed is the man, or happy, fortunate, to be envied is the man or the woman who trusts in him. I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite verse in the Bible, but if I were to have a favorite verse, this may be my favorite verse in the Bible. Uh, this is a beautiful declaration of faith. Uh, perhaps the reason it may be my favorite verse is because it's, it's a food analogy. How many of you, food speaks to your heart? Yes. And, and I love that he says, taste and see. I actually was going to bring a little chocolate bar up here today as an illustration. And just during my message, I was just going to be eating my chocolate bar just to drive you all crazy. But I forgot it at home. Okay, so I'll eat it when I get there. But he says, oh, taste and see. In other words, he doesn't just say, see, look, observe, take my word for it. He says, you've got to taste this for yourself. You've got to experience this for yourself. Taste and see 
that the Lord is good. Now, he could have said anything. He could have said, taste and see that God is powerful. And he is. He could have said, taste and see that God is wise. And he is. He could have said, taste and see that God is loving. And he is. He could have said any of those things and many, many more. But that's not what David said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David said, taste and see that God is good. Taste and see that God is good. You see, all of those other things, his love, his power, his wisdom, all flows out of his goodness. I want to speak to you today the first essential, I believe, that, that is an essential of our faith, or perhaps we could say a foundation of our faith, is this, that God is good. God is good. Now, I know some of us hear that, and maybe you grew up hearing that all the time. Maybe you sing it all the time. Uh, maybe you grew up praying, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Maybe you've been in church at some point in time, and a worship leader or a pastor will shout out, God is good, and the congregation says, all the time, and then he'll say or she'll say, and all the time, God is good. Y'all know it. And, and, but here's the challenge, that that is such a foundational truth that, that oftentimes foundations can become forgotten. Oftentimes we can become so familiar with a foundation and we, we get so used to that foundation that we forget its importance. And there's a lot of other great things that, that can be added into our lives, our walk with the Lord, that can be added into the church. But at the foundation, I believe one of the most important truths is that God is good. There's a lot of other things that, that, that are kind of like furniture or paint in the room. My wife loves to rearrange things. It, it, we have a conversation every week almost about she's got the inspiration to rearrange something. And I just say, I, I would love it if we could just get it all in one place and leave it forever. <laughs> Imagine what we could do with all of our spare time. But she is inspired by moving things around. And in the church, we should always be changing Style of music will change. The way we present the message will change. Uh, the, the style of dress may change. A lot of things will change and should change, but there are some things that should never change. There are some things that are essentials, that are foundations. There are some things that, that aren't paint on the wall. They're the concrete that we stand on. And I, I want to tell you, when it comes to the reality of this truth, that God is good, that is concrete that we build our lives on. That is steel that, that supports us through the challenges of life, that, it, that, that, that creates the foundation that the church is built on. And so we can never presume that we all have the recognition that God is good. And so I want to talk to you today about this, this truth that God is good. Because, again, it can be something that we are familiar with, but we forget the importance of. 
And so there's three things that I want you to see that, that are the, um, that, that reveal the goodness of God. Three things, and just in case you're taking notes, these are my introductory points, and then I'll get to my main points later, okay? Just got to manage expectations, all right? But three ways that we see the goodness of God. The first way that we see the goodness of God is we see the goodness of God in his nature. In his nature. We were singing today, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Three in one. And what we're singing about is really the nature of God. As the Bible reveals three persons, one substance. Three who's, one what? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But I love that the first person of God, the first person of that triune reality of who God is, is God the Father. He's God the Father. Why? Because a Father is one that out of His goodness and out of His love creates a world for others to live in. And that's who God is. God has he is the originator of all of life. He is our Father. He loves us. He cares for us. And so we see the goodness of God in His nature as a Father. We also see the goodness of God in His creation. In His creation. When you look around the world and you see the beauty of creation, it's reflecting the goodness of God. It's reflecting God's nature, God's character. Oftentimes when we tell the gospel or when we share what the, the story of the Bible with people, we start with, you're a sinner. But I, I want you to know that's not where the Bible starts. The Bible doesn't start with, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Now we may get to that later, but that's not where the Bible starts. The Bible starts first with, God is good. And he created the world to be good. Everything that God created, he saw it and he said that it is good. And when he made mankind, he said it's very good. And, and so we need to first recognize that God's purpose for creation was a good purpose. Some people say if God is good, why do bad things happen? As if the presence of bad things disproves the reality of a good God. And, and I would tell you this morning that I believe it's actually the other way around. I believe that the presence of bad things, if in order for there to be something bad, there, there must first be a standard of what is good. In order to recognize that something is broken, there, there must first be the definition of what it should be whole. And so when we look around at the world and when we see the suffering, we see the pain, we see the, the brokenness and the sickness of humanity, and there's something within us that, as the book of Romans says, groans, saying this is not the way that it should be. Why do we do that? Because God intended the world for good. And when you have that recognition, you begin to see that sin is not just some, um, you, you know, uh, moralistic rule that God uses to control people. Sin is actually anything that is outside of God's good plan for the world. And so God, like a father, would put boundaries on his children, or a mother would put boundaries on their children, don't run in the road. That's not because I want to be mean or 
hard on my kids. It's because I want them to live. And, and so God has revealed his goodness in creation. And then ultimately the greatest demonstration of God's goodness is in his son. Because if God created the world and the world became broken and God just said, not my problem. How many of you know that wouldn't be a very good story? But the, the gospel, the Bible, the story of Jesus and what he came to do is a good story. Because God has revealed his goodness ultimately through the person of Jesus. The greatest demonstration of God's goodness is when he came in the form of his son and hung on the cross. And at the cross, the Bible says that all of our sin was put upon him. That means everything that is bad, all of the, the guilt and the shame and the suffering and, and all of the sickness and all of the, the things outside of God's plan and purpose that are the result of our own willful disobedience against God were put on Jesus. That's what is, is often called the great exchange, that he has taken all of my badness and in exchange given me all of his goodness. All of the brokenness, shame, all of the despair, the darkness, the addiction, the depression came on Jesus and he bore the weight of everything bad in the world. And he did it so that he could exchange our badness for his goodness. That's why David said it this way, uh, surely goodness and mercy in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Notice who's following who. David's saying, I'm not chasing the goodness. He's recognizing that even when we're not going after God's goodness, his goodness is coming after us. Anybody ever been tackled by like a big old dog? I'll never forget as a kid one time, I, there was this dog that started coming towards me at a church picnic, I think, and it was like slow motion. I turned around and started running, and it just came upon me and took me down. And God is saying, that's what goodness is doing. It's coming after you. In other words, when we were running away from God's goodness, his goodness through Jesus Christ is coming after us. That means regardless of how far you've run or how fast you've gotten there, his goodness is always greater than our badness. So that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the goodness of God that causes us to say, I was going that way, but I see the goodness coming after me and I'm going to change my way. Repentance is a change of thinking that results in a change of direction. And I love that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. When we begin to see that the life that God has for us is just better than the life that we've created ourselves. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody, you were in that life that was your life and suddenly one day you woke up and you went, this is not a good life. I think I need to turn around. I think there needs to be a change of direction and God's goodness was there to, to come upon you and overtake you. And so I, I believe that this reality that God is good has to be the foundation of our faith. I was recently at a, a, a theological bookstore and I saw all of these books and I thought, 
man, there's so much that I've not read. There's so much that I don't know. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit pricked my heart and said, you know what? All of that is good. Now, there's nothing wrong with all of that. But I want to make sure that you don't move beyond the foundation that I am good. And so regardless of how many books you've read, that's the essential truth that our faith is built on is that God is good. And so many times we can forget the goodness of God. We can forget the foundation that, that everything else is built on. That, that all of our faith and all of our hope and expectations is built on the goodness of God. And so I want to give you four things that happen when you forget the goodness of God. When we forget the reality that God is good. Four things that we do. First of all, when we forget the goodness of God, we forget to praise. We forget to praise God. We forget to tell him like Ron was saying. He didn't know what I was talking about today. But we forget to give God thanks for his goodness. When we forget his goodness. And here's what happens. We begin to think that the good things we have are because of our good efforts. Or good behavior. And we begin to think, well, all of these good things in my life are because I've worked hard. Or y'all got silent on that one. Because I've worked hard or because I'm a moral person, therefore God owes me. Or, or I've earned this. I've done this myself. And God instructed, he warned Israel about this as they were leaving the promised land in Deuteronomy 8. Verse 11, he says this, and I think we'll have it to put on the screen. He says this, he opens up, he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statues, which I command you this day. Verse 12, he says, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, when your herds and flocks multiply, your silver and gold are multiplied, then all that you have is multiplied. In other words, he says, be careful when life is good. When everything is going well, when the bank account looks good, when the house looks good, when the family looks good, when everything is good, be careful because you can begin to look around and think, look at this, I've done pretty good. And you forget that it wasn't you who got you there, it was the goodness of God. It was the kindness of God. Some people may say, well, I did this myself. I, I, God wasn't the one that went to college for all of those years. I went to college. Well, who gave you the mind? Who gave you the brain to study those things? Some people may say, well, it wasn't God that got up early in the morning and worked the business that built this business. It was me who got up early in the morning. Well, who gave you the heart that beat in that morning to get you out of the bed. You see, everything we have, the Bible says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And the problem with a self-made man is that a self-made man worships his maker. When you begin to think that you have accomplished it yourself, the danger is you begin to give yourself credit for it rather than acknowledging and praising God. Why, when we come in, why do we lift up our hands? Why do we sing? Not because we feel like it, 
Not because we just wake up on Spring Forward Sunday and just think, man, I just got a song to sing. You may have. If you felt that way this morning, come lay hands on me after the service. I need what you have. But that's not why we sing. We sing because, God, you're so good. God, you're kind. God, you're the, the help that I have. Lord, I praise you for it. The mind that I have, I praise you for it. The family that I have, the church that I have. It's what Ron was talking about, giving thanks. Because what we do not turn into praise will turn into pride. If we don't turn the goodness of God back into praise to him, it will turn into pride and it will destroy us. What's the greatest sin in all of the world? Some people may think, well, it's probably a sexual sin or maybe it's some sort of abuse. I believe the greatest sin is the sin of pride. The greatest sin is to think that we can live the good life without the good, the giver of life. That we can have all of the benefits that God offers to us, but we can do it on our own terms without God. That's what the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says that since the creation of the world, since the world was made, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. And, and he goes on to say this, that although they knew God, people did not glorify him as God, nor were unthankful but became futile in their thoughts and, and their foolish hearts were darkened. He's saying that even without the Bible, you, you don't have to read the Bible to see the evidence for the existence of God. All you have to do is open your eyes in the morning. All you have to do is walk out and see the sunrise in the morning. It, this is what philosophers call the cosmological argument for the existence of God. That you don't even have to look at the scripture. All you have to do is look at the world around us. And you see the evidence of the nature of God. When you see the, the colors of the beautiful spring flowers, you see the creative nature of God. When you go to the beach and maybe you see the vastness of the ocean, you see the bigness of God. And so the reality is that it takes a lot of work to be an atheist. It's a lot of work. I mean, it's, I just don't even have the energy to go through my day. La, 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 la. I will not look. I will not taste. I will not see. I will not observe. Because if I do, then I will have to acknowledge that there is someone else. And here's the inconvenient part about acknowledging the goodness of God is that if there is a God, then I can no longer be him. And that's the root of the issue, that when I recognize God is good, then suddenly there is a standard of goodness outside of myself. Suddenly, the, the things that I feel pretty good about, I begin to look at myself and I recognize how far I fall short of God's goodness. This is, this is what the Bible calls the grace of God, that he's good to everybody. Some people say, why do bad things happen to good people? The better question is, why do good things happen to bad people? Because when you know me, if you really knew me, I'm not that good. Sorry to burst your bubble today. I know y'all thought, wow, that's a good guy. I'm not that good. 
I'm in process. I'm better than I used to be. But I'm still a work in progress. But it's the grace of God. When I recognize his goodness, I go, I'm not that great. I'm not that good. God, give me your grace. And so if we forget the goodness of God, first of all, we forget to praise God. We forget to give him credit for what he has done. The second thing, if we forget the goodness of God, we forget to pray. Not only do we forget to praise God and give him credit, but we also forget to pray. You see, what you believe about God shapes the way you interact with God. It shapes the way you pray. If you believe that God is some sort of capricious dictator that may be good or may not be good, then you will not be very motivated to pray. If you think that God is distant and far from you, you will not be motivated to pray. But when you see the goodness of God, you will be motivated to pray, not as your last resort, but as your first priority. And when we forget the goodness of God, it makes our prayers tepid, weak, and wimpy. You ever seen a prayer like that, that it just kind of comes out of the mouth? I've prayed some prayers like that, just kind of comes out of your mouth and dribbles down your chin. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of prayer just... You know what? Yeah. But a, a prayer that's based on the goodness of God. I'm not saying that you have to yell it. It might be just in your heart. But there's a resolution. There's a reality. Because you're praying not just according to your need. You're praying according to God's goodness. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 7. In verse 11, he says this at the end of this passage. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things who, or to who? To those who ask him. And so when we recognize that he is good, we will become motivated to bring every need to God. You, you know, there's nothing that is too small for God to care about. <coughs> The reality is that every one of our problems is small to God. There's not a pro You have a problem and you think, this is just, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Let me tell you, when you bring it to God, God is not like, OMG. Um, this is, I've never seen this one before. God, OME, okay. <coughs> and so the question is, What's our prayer life like? If you want to know what you really believe about God, look at, look at your prayers. Again, I'm not talking about having to yell or put on a show. Jesus is clear about that. But what I'm talking about is, is there an urgency to pray? Is there a desire to pray? Is there this sense of when I've got a problem, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go talk to God because he's a good God. He's a good father. My children don't keep a problem to themselves for a month before they come to me about it. I'm telling you, as soon as it comes up, they're coming to me. And God, Jesus says, if you, being evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven? And so when we recognize the goodness of God, it will motivate us to pray. You see, the problem is sometimes the reason we don't see the goodness of God is because we don't ask God. We try to figure it out on our own. We don't bring things to God. 
And the way that we grow in faith and the way that we grow in our trust of God is the same way that a child grows in their trust of a parent. It's the same way that they grow in their belief that my mom, my dad is good. They want good for me. In fact, there's a a little diagram that psychologists use that we'll put up. It's called the circle of security. And this is just a very simple picture of how children learn to trust their parents. And the reality is that every child goes through this thousands of times, sometimes every day, thousands of times, and they don't stop to think about it, and we don't stop to think about it. But it's, it, this is really the way that that bond is formed between a parent and a child. The first thing is, is that the child recognizes an unmet need. Change me, feed me, that's it to start with. Then it goes on from there. Help me put my shoes on. Help me do this or that. They recognize an unmet need. And then secondly, they express their unmet need to their parent. That's, uh, those of you who are kids, you know that kind of a cry, right? My wife can hear a cry and she goes, oh, that's nothing. And then another cry, she's, whoa, she's on it. Because she recognizes they're expressing a need. There's a problem. And so the third step is then the parent meets the need. They come. They help to meet that need. Help to provide for the child what the child needs. And as a result, the child learns to trust the parent. Again, this happens to us thousands of times growing up. And we never think about it. But this is what causes a child to bond with their parents. But all of this is dependent on the child expressing the need. I read recently an article that was uh, just a heart-wrenching article uh, of a reporter that went to an orphanage overseas. And when she walked into the orphanage, she said it was the, it was the, the, the worst sound, the most deafening sound that she had ever heard in her life. And it was not the sound of screaming. It was actually the sound of silence. Because these children who had been in their cribs, left unattended, without their needs met for weeks, months, perhaps some of them had uh, even for years, had simply given up on expressing their need. And there's a lot of Christians that are like that. They live their life in silence when God is saying, I wish you'd tell me what you need. Talk to me about what you need. Now, the reality is that not every need we have and not every want that we express gets met or gets met when we want it. How many of you with children know this, that not everything your children ask for is what's best for them? If if I gave my children everything they asked for, They would be eating ice cream all the time and playing video games until their brains melted and ran out their ears because that's what they want, but I know what's best for them. So I give them a little bit of ice cream, and on occasion, if they've handled their chores and done everything else, I let them play for a little bit, but I don't give it to them all the time. And then there's other times when they ask me for something, and I say, well, yes, but not now. And God's the same way. I've heard it said that if you knew what God knows, you would always want what God gives you. 
Sometimes we think God's not answering our prayer. But when we recognize that our prayer is all based on the goodness of God, we come to the recognition that if God is not answering our prayer, it may be because he has something better for us. And, And at the same time, we have to recognize that when we pray... The scripture tells us that we ought to always pray and not lose heart. Why? Because delay is not denial. Every parent knows this, that just because they're going to give their child something doesn't mean that they're going to give it to them right now. And it's in that process of how they handle the delay that determines their maturity. And God's ultimate plan is not just for you to have good things. It's for you to become the person that reflects his goodness. And part of the way that he does that is through allowing us to go through periods of time where we'll say, you know what, even though I don't have what I've asked you to give me, God, I still recognize that you are good. Because if if God gives us everything we want, we can turn what we get into an idol rather than recognizing, God, if I have nothing else, you're good enough. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 69, Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Notice he doesn't say, God, hear me because I'm a good boy. Hear me because I'm a good girl. Hear me because I deserve it. He says, God, your loving kindness, according to your loving kindness, which is good, hear me. And so we need to recognize that If we forget the goodness of God, we forget to pray. We forget to bring our needs to God. The third thing, not only do we forget to praise, not only can we forget to pray, but we can also forget to prophesy. Now you say, well, what did did you just use that? Because that's another P word. Let me explain what I mean. Oftentimes when we think about prophecy or the gift of prophecy, we think, well, that's some sort of, you know, weird thing or that's some sort of thing where somebody tells me something that's like you know I don't really know what it means or maybe they're going to shake while they say it or something and that makes it prophecy and and I would just say this that if God shakes you that's all right God God can do anything he wants and so we don't want to reject anything that may be of God but but oftentimes we miss out on the reality of what God is wanting to do you see, ultimately, prophecy is simply this. It's the, it's the declaration of God's good plan for your life. That's why Jeremiah the prophet said to Israel in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Thoughts to give you a hope and a future, or a future and a hope. Oftentimes we read, oftentimes we read that scripture, we think, wow, what a great scripture. But when you actually read the context of it, It's God has allowed Israel to go into captivity into Babylon. And he's saying, you're actually going to be here for about 70 more years. But but don't lose heart. Why? Because I've got good plans for you. This isn't the end of it. And so prophecy, the Bible says in the New Testament, that he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. I'll give you an example. just an illustration of my own life. I remember one time when I was a kid, when I lived in England, we went to the beach. And the beach that we were at had these kind of cliffs with these little kind of mountainous foothills that led up to the cliffs. And we were down there with my family and another family. 
And my dad decided he was going to climb up these mountains. And I thought, well, I'm going to, I'll go with my dad. I'm, I'm a big boy. I can do this. And so I, my dad said, well, why don't you come, come along? And I went with him. I remember my brother went with him. And I remember we went up the mountain. I don't know how high we were, but it felt really high. And I remember uh, I, I suddenly got panicked by where we were. And, and my dad said, come on, sons, let's keep, come on, boys, let's keep going. So we kept going up. And I, the further we went, the, the more fearful I was. And I thought, what are we doing up here? <laughs> Suddenly, I remembered the story of Abraham and Isaac. <laughs> I thought, you brought us up here to kill us. <laughs> I had a freak out moment. I had a freak out moment. You ever seen a kid in the in the grocery store, have a freak out moment. I had a freak out moment on the mountain there. I thought, I, I'm going to die. You're going to kill me here. And I remember my dad said, said this to me. He said, it's okay. Daddy's here. Daddy's got you. And he grabbed me and he picked me up with my kicking and flailing and screaming, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me. And he just carried me. Some of you have got one of your kids like that, you know. He just carried me the rest of the way. And I believe that's a picture of what prophecy is. Prophecy is simply that encouraging voice of God. Daddy's here. I've got you. It's okay. I haven't brought you here because I'm going to kill you. I've brought you here because I'm going to carry you. Because I want you to see how good that I am. And so when we forget the goodness of God, we forget to declare the good plans that God has over our lives. We, we begin to think that God has brought us to where we are and he's going to leave us where we are. But prophecy is when we begin to declare what God says to us, whether it's a scripture, whether it's something that the Holy Spirit just impresses on us. Daddy's here. Now, sometimes if you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing and you heard the words, Daddy's here, you go, oh my goodness, yeah. Daddy's here. Quick, everybody stop, right? You know what I'm talking about? Daddy's here. Dad's here. But prophecy ultimately is about comforting. It's about speaking out God's good plans over our lives. God is, if you're in a tough place today, you're on a mountain today, I, I want to tell you, God's not taking you there to kill you. He's brought you there to carry you. The Bible says it this way, He who has begun a good work in you will carry it through to the day of completion. He's not, you're, you don't have to be the one that carries the good work. He's carried the good work. And if He's brought you to the beginning, He's going to bring you all the way through. And so we need to remember to speak out God's promises. That's why it's so important that we get into the word, that we understand the word of God, that we're engaged with other people, that when we are having that freak out, I'm going to die moment, they can say, it's okay. It's okay. God's got you. The fourth thing, the final thing that happens when we forget the goodness of God is that we forget to prepare. We forget to prepare for the good things that God has for us. Or, or I could say it this way, we become very pessimistic. We become very pessimistic. Worship team, you guys can come back up. I, I don't know about you, but 
the reality is in my life that left to my own devices, I can get very fearful. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Left to my own devices, my own mind. If I'm left to my own mind alone, just my own thoughts, there can be a downward tendency in my thoughts. And I can become very pessimistic about things. It's not going to work out. It's probably not going to happen. I guess I'll never do what I felt I was going to do. I guess I'll never be what I felt like God had called me to be. And ultimately, the root problem is that we forget the goodness of God. The destiny that God has for you, like Jeremiah said, is a good plan. Sometimes you feel like, man, I've made a mistake. I guess I've blown it. But let me tell you, let me just remind you again, your future is not dependent on your goodness or even your good decisions. Ultimately, it's based on the goodness of God. That's why the psalmist says this in Psalm 27, verse 13. I love this verse. He says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Some of you need to hear that today. And he shall strengthen your heart. I say, wait on the Lord. Don't freak out. Don't run away. But allow God to strengthen your heart. I love that thought. I would have lost heart. This was written by David. He was a man that understood what it was to have some good hopes, but to go through some hard times. But he said, if I hadn't believed that I'm going to see God's goodness, I would have lost heart. But today I'm building my life not on the foundation of my goodness. I'm building my life on the foundation of God's goodness. Therefore, I will wait on the Lord, for he will strengthen my heart. You see, outside of the reality of God's goodness, there is no eternal place of hope. Apart from the relationship with God, apart from the reality that God is good, and that what he does is good, there is no hope. Because ultimately, hope is the expectation and the anticipation of God's goodness in our lives. Do you believe that today? That God is good, and what he does is good. He has good plans for you. I want to ask you, if you would, just to stand to your feet.